Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. As we open up our story in John chapter 16, verse 16 this morning, you can make your way over there. Jesus continues to speak to his disciples. They have just received the news that he is going to the cross. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be scourged. He is going to be nailed to a cross and he is going to die. This is not at all the way the disciples thought this was going to happen. They have followed him for three years. This is the last thing that was on their mind when they go up to the upper room. For them, this is a tragic ending, but Jesus is giving them hope. And still this morning, you're going to hear him give them hope. You see, the Jews had been taught through the Pharisees, largely a wrong doctrine that when Messiah came, Messiah would come as this conquering king, this conquering general, this warrior that would take back their country. And the Jews would once again self-rule again forevermore. That's the way they thought this was supposed to go down. This is why on Palm Sunday when Jesus arrives and he goes into the city on the back of a donkey, the Jews are going nuts thousands upon thousands they're lining the the road into jerusalem they're waving palm branches why because they believe he's the messiah he has resurrected people he has healed the blind he has raised lazarus from the dead and he is a superhero at this point but they believe he's there to set them free through the a governmental process But he's not there at all to do that. He came for something far more important. He came there to set them free from sin. These young men are confused. They're shaken by what Jesus is telling them. And their hearts are heavy and troubled. In short, they feel completely lost. Their joy is gone. They've lost it. Have you ever been lost or lost something really important to you? A story is told of the boss of a big company who one night needed to call one of his employees about an urgent problem with one of their main computers. He dialed the employee's home telephone number and was greeted with the voice of a three-year-old who whispered, Hello? Feeling put out at the inconvenience of having to talk to a youngster, the boss asked, is your daddy home? Yes, whispered the small voice. May I talk with him? The man asked. To the surprise of the boss, the small voice whispered, no. Wanting to talk with an adult, the boy asked, is your mommy there? Yes, came the reply. May I talk with her? Again, the child whispered, No. (laughs) Knowing that it was unlikely that this child would be left all alone at home, the boss decided he would just leave a message with, with the person who should be there watching over the child. Is there anyone else with you there? The boss asked the child. Yes, whispered the child. A policeman's here. Wondering what a cop would be doing at his employee's home, the boss had to ask, May I speak with the policeman then? No, 
He's busy, whispered the child. Busy doing what, asked the boss. Talking to daddy and mommy and the fireman, came the whispered voice. Growing concerned and even worried as he heard what sounded like a helicopter in the background in the earpiece of the phone, the boss asked, what is that noise? Hello, copper, answered the whispering voice. What is going on there, the boss asked, now alarmed. In a whispering voice, the three-year-old continued, the search team has landed in the helicopter on the street. Alarmed and concerned more than ever, the frustrated boss asked, why are you there? Or why are they there? Still whispering, the young voice replied, along with a muffled giggle, they're looking for me. (laughs) And I laugh at that story because I was that little kid. I didn't do it on purpose. I fell asleep under my bed and pretty soon the whole neighborhood was searching for me along with the police department. I woke up and came wandering out wondering what was going on. Sometimes we lose things. Sometimes we lose our kids. Sometimes we lose our keys or or we lose other things. And just like the disciples in our story today, if we're not careful, we can allow things in our life and in the world to rob us of our joy. We can lose our joy. You know, sometimes we place these young followers of Christ up on an imaginary pedestal as if they were chosen for their stalwart faith or their amazing knowledge of God's Word. But it was quite the opposite. These were common fishermen. These young men were in their mid-teens, it's believed, mid to late teens. These are very young men. They were not chosen for what they knew Their faith was not much different than ours is, and I find that comforting. Jesus understands our weaknesses. He understands our shortcomings. He is patient with us, and he provides comfort to us when we are in need of it. And he tells us how to reclaim our joy when we've lost it. Perhaps this morning you've walked in here and you've lost your joy. In the previous services here, I've gotten to hear several stories about people losing their joy and the struggles people are going through. Some of them have shared medical crises with me. Others have shared uh, relationship crises with me. Some have lost a loved one through death. And they're sharing how they have lost their joy and are looking for it to return. In our passage today, Jesus uses the word joy or rejoice six times. So it is key that we understand what it means. No doubt these young men were were not feeling very joyful on this evening of persecution that Jesus was about to enter. He instructs them how they can help their joy return. And in so doing, he instructs us today. The recipe is the same. Joy sets us apart from the world who only knows a fleeting thought of it. The world would say, I have joy, but I think a better word for what they experience is happiness. You take that word and you uh, dissect it and pull it apart. It's happenstance. Happiness happens and it comes and goes. But joy, the joy that Jesus is talking about is the joy that remains in us. Conversely, 
What the world is looking for is joy. They have a hard time finding it. But our Heavenly Father, He shares it freely with all His kids because He wants us to have a heart of joy. Let's look at three kinds of joy for believers this morning in our notes. Number one, joy in the believer's circumstances. You see, joy doesn't, doesn't always come with good news, although that's likely. You can have joy no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what your circumstances are. It's, a, it's human nature for us to want to avoid pain and trials at all costs. We've all prayed a prayer similar to, God, please remove this trial in my life. Please remove this heartache that I'm having to go through and replace it with joy. As if it's either or. But God usually doesn't work that way. He chooses to bring joy in the middle of our pain. And this occurs when we let go of our desire for comfort. We can actually make our comfort a God an idol. I have to be comfortable. I have to be joyful. I want good things to happen to me. This is the prosperity gospel that so many teach and preach in our country to the detriment of, of the ears listening. I have to experience a good life. I have to have lots of money. God you know, told me I wanted, that He wants me to be rich and He wants me to be healthy and He wants me to... It's a long list. But God allows circumstances in our life that we would not choose. Debbie and I uh, could tell you many stories in our life that have entered into it that we would push away if we could. But God allows them in our life so that He can work through them and so that we can discover that there's joy in the middle of pain. Jesus provides the perfect illustration to us, John 16, 16, where we're reading this morning. Verse 16, a little while and you will not see me, Jesus says. He's talking to the disciples again. He's made this statement now four times. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Verse 17, then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. They're confused. And because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Why will they weep and lament? Well, what they don't know is that they're going to watch from a distance some very hurtful things happen. Their Savior, their friend, the man that they've come to love so deeply and to follow is going to be arrested. He's going to be put through a total of six trials before this ends, that night ends. He's going to be passed off to different people. They're going to find him guilty or they're not going to want to deal with him and send him to the next trial. And then he's going to be arrested. He's going to be scourged beyond what any of us would want to witness. And then he's going to be nailed to a cross. And he is going to suffer. He's going to bleed. 
And he's going to die on Calvary. And all this is going to happen. They're going to weep and lament. They're going to take his body down off the cross. Some will carry it to a rented tomb or a borrowed tomb. And they're going to wrap it in spices. And they're going to roll the stone in front of it. And by all human accounts, the story of Jesus is over. By the disciples' accounts, their lives are over. What they thought was going to happen, well, it didn't work out. Everything's changed now. They're up in the upper room. They're going to weep and lament, as Jesus said, but the world will rejoice. Why will the world rejoice? The ruler of this world, Jesus has talked about him several times now, will rejoice. Satan on that night rejoiced. He did the happy dance. He had finally nailed the Son of God to a tree and watched as he died. Now he has defeated the Son of God. Now he's in charge of the world completely. That's what the world will rejoice. Jesus goes on. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. There's that word. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child... She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Ladies, am I I right? If I were to ask you while you were still on your hospital bed giving birth, if you wanted to do this again, many of you would say no. But and it's, I find this interesting as a husband, and it's not long after that that you're okay with that again, that you want to have another child, that you talk about it. Why? Because you've, your joy has returned, and through the pain and suffering of delivering a child, you now find the joy in the fulfillment of that with your baby, and the joy returns Here we see in Jesus' illustration that God is not nearly as concerned with our comfort in the temporary moment as He is our transformation in the long run. In His example, Jesus reveals that the pain of childbirth brings the joy of a new child. God doesn't remove the pain of a mother halfway through the birth. No, he allows it to come to fruition, but he brings the joy of parenting along with it, and that overcomes the pain. We see this so powerfully through our redemption, through the pain of the cross and our forgiveness that was purchased for us by Jesus Christ. His pain brought our peace. His suffering brought our salvation. And through his stripes, through his pain, we are healed It is through difficulties that we know the deepest joy and purpose for our life. And looking back on some of the things that have happened to me and to to Debbie and I together, we would not pick the road that God had given to us, not by a long chance. We would have never picked some of the pains and sorrows. But I can tell you this. We would not be the people we are. We would not have the faith that we possess had we not gone into the trial and gone through it. And for that, I give God thanks. And for that, I give Him glory because all glory is due His name. It's nothing that I did or 
we did to get through it. We just hung on for dear life to him. He walked us through the darkest moments of our life. And on the other side, he brought joy. He didn't remove the pain and replace it with joy. That's sometimes our prayer. But he said, in spite of this pain, I'm going to show you my joy. And you're going to come through this transformed and you're going to be ready for what I have next in your life. He prepared us for what he was going to give us first. I think of the disciples. Can you imagine the high of having watched Jesus feed 5,000 men plus women and children from a single sack lunch? They had to be talking about this. The buzz was, it was just, it was a high And then what did the people do? Well, they wanted to seize Jesus and along with that, likely the disciples. And they wanted them to to lift them up. And Jesus is going, "Uh uh-uh, I know what's in your heart. You're not, uh uh-uh, that's not why I came. And so what he turns to the disciples and he says, get in the boat. It's a commandment. Didn't require an answer. (laughs) Get in the boat. So what do they do? He says, cross to the other side. They get in the boat and they begin to row and Jesus leaves the crowd. He goes up to pray on the hillside. Now, interesting that Jesus didn't say, get into the boat, everything's going to be just smooth sailing and you're going to experience no problems and when you get to the other side, I'll be there waiting for you. He doesn't say that, did he? He said, get in the boat and go to the other side. He didn't say what would happen in between. That's kind of like our life, isn't it? Jesus says, you're, you're with me now. Here's what I want you to do. One day, I want you to, to go out into the world, preach the gospel. I want you to go out into the world, make disciples, and I'll bring you in heaven, to heaven one day. We don't get to know all the circumstances that happen in between now and heaven, do we? I mean, I, I'm glad we don't. I, I don't want all that information at once. I, you know, what is it? Sufficient for the day, the trouble for today is. I, I just need to know what to do today. And that's how God has planned it for us. Easy times create soft Christians, and soft Christians make little impact or difference in their world. We're seeing that right now. We're we're reaping the whirlwind because we've been soft. And when I say we, I mean Christians across the country. The church has gone soft, largely. But now it's starting to wake up. And now church, some churches are starting to wake up and say, wait a minute, hold on, we've lost our way. And they're beginning to open the Word up and use it as a compass to redirect themselves onto the path that God has from soft Christians make little impact or difference in their world. Helen Keller once said, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. Pastor Chuck Swindoll, uh, one of my favorite pastors, wisely stated, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. You ever faced what you thought was an impossible situation? Boy, I know I've had a few of them in my life. How, how am I ever going to get through this one? How am, I don't even have words for this. And yet, if you look at it through the eyes of God, it's a, it's a great opportunity, brilliantly disguised as an impossible situation. In my six decades of life, I know some of you thought I only had four, um, I have found that God will often point to you in pain in order to produce your purpose. That in the pain, He will ready you 
for what the purpose is coming out of it. Jesus allowed these disciples to go across the lake. He knew full well what was about to happen. He controls the wind and the waves. He knew that the storm was coming. It has always been his plan. So when he sent them out there, he knew what he was doing. He was sending them into a storm. He was doing this to prepare them. Ministry was going to get far more difficult after this moment. When they arrive on the other side, there's going to, people, going to be people that oppose them. And Jesus wanted them to know, hey, I'm, I am God. You need to understand this. I am the Son of God. So he puts them in a boat out there, and they cry out for their lives. They're, they're about to die in their eyes. And what does Jesus do? He comes into their pain. He didn't speak for the way. He could have done that from the hillside. No, he comes walking on the water through the waves and the storm, and he gets into the boat with them. He'll get into your storm with you. And then it's only then that he calms the storm. But he wants you and I to learn something through the storm that we can only learn if we walk with him through the darkest nights that we face. I think of martial arts theologian Bruce Lee, who said, do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. I don't know what Bruce Lee's theology is, but I know that's a true statement. You know, we can pray for an easy life, but I don't think that, that matters. I think praying for the strength to endure the one that God's given us is what we should be praying. The fact is most of us would not have half of our faith if we had not experienced the perfecting pain in our lives at some point. God uses our pain for our gain and His glory so that we have a story to point and say, look what God did in my life. I went through a dark night of my soul. I didn't know how I was going to get through it. But then in the middle of it, I cried out to God and He heard my cry. And He came to me and He, he ministered to me. His peace came back into my life and His joy filled me. That's a story that you have. If you don't go through trials, what story do you have? I think of one of my favorite songs called Through It All. It was written by Andre Crouch, which wisely asks the question, and I quote, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. See, if we don't have a trial in our life, why would we need God at all? If, if life was just one big smooth sail, we wouldn't really need to talk to the Lord about our problems because we wouldn't have them. But problems in this world come into our life to show us our need for Jesus. They, they show us our need for prayer. They show us our need for God and a relationship with Him. That's what drives us to make a decision. In Jesus' story, the teacher didn't say that God replaced the pregnant mom's sorrow with the absence of pain, he said that her pain was transformed into joy. And your pain can be transformed into joy as well. He wants to do that in your life as well. If you walk with him through the crisis. King David, who knew more than his share of pain, in my opinion, wrote in Psalm 30, verse 5, he said, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So hang in there. The pain that you're going through is not forever. If you're walking with the Lord, if Jesus is your Savior, your pain will not last forever. At some point, He will relieve it. 
whether in this life or the next. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.